That's for God's favor. Lord, I love you and I thank you for the way your mercy has been real to us all. And uh, Lord, life can be so hard and so frustrating. And so calm our spirits, draw our hearts and our minds in to love you. And I beg your blessing on us right now, please. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Exodus chapter 5. By the way, quick comment. Thank you all for being a part of things last Sunday. I know that was a tough service, tough teaching. Did a parental advisory for obvious reasons. And uh, I'm grateful for your support of that. Um, Today, though, we're digging into Exodus chapter 5. Let me read the story and, and we'll pick up on some things that are really fascinating. So this is what God's word says. Exodus chapter 5. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go. Sounds like a script from a movie, doesn't it? Let my people go so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will strike us with plague or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you let the people neglect their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors? So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen. Now, the foremen are Hebrews. They're Hebrew people bossing the Hebrews around. And he said to the foreman, you are no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as previously. Have them go and gather straw for themselves, but you shall impose on them the quota of bricks which they were making before. You are not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. For that reason, they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier for the men And have them work at it so they will pay no attention to false words. In other words, what Moses and Aaron are saying. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people of Israel saying, This is what Pharaoh says. I'm not going to give you any straw. You go. Get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it. But none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your quota, your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And then they were asked, Why have you not completed your required task of making bricks, either yesterday or today as before? They're behind schedule. Then the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal this way with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants, 
Yet they keep saying to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are being beaten. But is it the fault of your own people? But he said, you are lazy, very lazy. For that reason, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work. For you will be given no straw, but you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble. They sensed that there was no way out. Since they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron. And as they were waiting for them, they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, because you have made us repulsive in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. I'm going to read just a few more verses in chapter 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go. And under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. I want to walk through a couple of aspects of this. And I'm going to do my best to say as little as possible. And to not belabor any of this. Look at 3.18. Turn back to 3.18. This is actually important. Um, Look specifically at what God instructs Moses to say. God specifically says, You and the elders are to go to the Pharaoh and say, The God, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met us. So now, please... Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord. Now, I have no significant mastery of Hebrew, but based on the scholars that I study, guess what? The Hebrew language here is very gentle. It's very diplomatic. It's very courteous and polite. All right. So notice the word please. Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please. If it's okay with you, please, can we go three days journey and worship? Okay, that's what Moses was told to say. And Aaron, of course, with him. But when Moses does it, this is his first attempt at obeying God and speaking with the Pharaoh as he should. Afterward, uh, this is what happens. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. That is actually command verbs in Hebrew, and Moses is actually telling Pharaoh what to do. Mistake. A big deal. What happens when God's words are spoken on God's terms versus when God's words are spoken on man's terms? Moses didn't literally say what God told him to say. And by the way, he was told to bring the elders of Israel Now remember, there's a reference coming up soon. The men of Israel number about 600,000. When you add their wives and you add your kids, we're looking at 
1 million, 1.5, 2 million, 2.5 million people, how many elders would there be? A couple? Of course not. This is a really significant number of men when you consider the elders of Israel. A hundred? Let's just go with that. No one knows. Moses walking in with a hundred men who are relatively respected because they're going to be keeping order in Israel with Aaron saying, Pharaoh, please, God met with us. It was amazing. Can we please just take three days off and go and worship in the wilderness? Do you think it may have inclined Pharaoh's heart to comply? Maybe. We don't know. But what we do know is Moses didn't do what God says. All right? And there's a key theme in Exodus. God blesses obedience. God judges disobedience. And I know that's hard to hear. We love grace. We need grace. I am saved by grace. I am discipled by grace. Without grace, this whole thing falls apart. But to take grace and so so distort it that it eclipses the fact that God is not only love, God is also holy and just, we miss the fact that God does just uh, judge disobedience. Okay? What happens to a child? Proverbs says, a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Okay? A Christian who names the name of Jesus and gets their own way will bring shame to their Savior. So God, right out of the gate, Moses is just not doing what God said to do. Now, look at 5.3. Moses uh, gets a negative response from Pharaoh. Um, I'm not sure who your Lord is. And by the way, no, I'm not going to let you go. And so Moses tries again. (laughs) He tries to say it again. And so he goes, "Uh, please let us go. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God said be nice. Okay, Uh, Pharaoh, please let us go three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And then look what he does. He adds something. Or God's going to give us a plague or bring the sword and we're all going to die. You know, when did God tell Moses to say that? He never did at all. And he's not talking about the 24 our bug that's sweeping the nation, the great plague that, you know, he's not talking about that. What is going on in Moses' brain that he thinks he can say that to Pharaoh? Well, it's possible he's being very manipulative. He's sympathy-seeking. Sympathy Maybe if I, if I say some pitiful kind of thing, by the way, the God that we just met with, if you don't let us go out into the wilderness, he's going to kill us, you know. What? This is the man that's supposed to represent God. Or maybe it's a threat. You don't give us a three-day break. God's going to kill your whole workforce, and you're not going to have a single peasant to make bricks for you, buddy boy. So if you want any of your big fancy buildings, you better let us go, or God's going to wipe us out. And who's going to do your hard work? You Egyptians. That's pretty, pretty sassy. He's getting a little mouthy. He's pushing things. Here we go. Oh, by the way, does Moses have a temper problem? I don't necessarily think he has a speech impediment. I think there's something else going on. We'll get to it here a little bit. Okay. The foremen complain. Now, remember, these are Hebrews. These are Israelis. 
Think about the position they're in. It's not a good one. If Israel doesn't keep up with the quota, their bosses, the foremen, get beaten up. There's an inscription that was found uh, in this period near Thebes. And the inscription said this. This is an Egyptian uh, inscription describing their leadership over slaves who consequently are identified as brick makers and brick layers. And this is what the inscription says. This rod is in my hand. Do not be lazy. That was actually found. The rod is in my hand. Do not be lazy. So the foremen complain. There's terrible kickback. Terrible kickback. They're getting beaten up. They're behind the quota. And these foremen are saying they realize they're in trouble. They're already at least a minimum of two, now perhaps three days behind on the quota. And they know if they don't catch up, it's going to be bad. And there's going to be potential bloodshed and all these kinds of things. And so they go straight to the man of God and they say, I'm praying God's judgment on you. Because what you've done in the name of this God that you've been trying to sell us is you're making our lives miserable. Absolutely miserable. And we don't like it. And I pray God takes it out of your hide because we're the ones that are sick of being beaten. That's what, Mo, that's what these four men are saying. And you know what Moses does? <laughs> he panics. And Moses goes right to the Lord, verse 22. Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. That's discouragement right there. When God's people attack God's servants, it is not good. It is not good at all. And sometimes when we do God's will, it absolutely backfires. How, you know, how do we pull that from the, this world into our world today? Well, one parallel would be it's, it's the, the average pastor's resignation on Monday morning. <laughs> you know, they prepare, their, they prepare themselves, do their best to get their heart right with God and and know his word they preach their little hearts out and they do the best they can on Sunday and by Monday the phone's ringing and they're already complaining because the pastor didn't say this should have said that said that incorrectly sounds like we might have a hint of heresy somewhere or a slip of something's awry and so we're going to call the deacons that's what we're going to do you know and, and what is the pastor ready to do Lord Ever since I came to First Baptist Church or Second Baptist Church or New Hope Baptist Church or No Hope Baptist Church, whatever church I went to, it's been nothing but complaints and trouble and, and clandestine meetings and sneakiness and little passive aggressive jabs. And Lord, I can't take it anymore. And why did you even call me into the ministry? You know, and it goes on and on and on, you know. Sometimes when we do God's will, it backfires. What are some of the emotions that uh, Moses may have felt? Fear, 
probably fear, anxiety, absolutely, maybe some depression, and we can go on and on. He was not doing well, and he's complaining. Now look at this. In 6.1, the Lord says to Moses, check this out. The Lord didn't say to Aaron. The Lord says to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion, he will let them go. And under compulsion, he will drive them out. God doesn't even acknowledge uh, Moses' emotions. I'm not being rude, but bear with the point. God's not, because, hey, I'm not going to cater your feelings right now. You want to know how to fix this problem? Let's get on mission. Let's get on point. What's the truth in this situation? And so look at this. Verse 10, Exodus 6.10. The Lord spoke to Moses. Again, not to Aaron. To Moses. Go and tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But Moses spoke before the Lord again, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will they listen to Pharaoh? I'm failing it both on both sides, God. Both ends of the spectrum, I'm failing. And here you are, sending me out again. And then he brings it up. As I am unskilled in speech. I think the truth is coming out. It's not a speech impediment. You know what, you know what's going on? He's afraid he can't get the mission done. He's not persuasive. If he were truly persuasive, what would happen? Everybody would obey Moses. Pharaoh would say, oh, Moses, you're right. Oh, my goodness. Let's take three days off. I tell you what, let's go ahead and do four. Oh, Moses, your words are so compelling. And Aaron, well, I'm just an accessory. Moses is in control. I think the whole thing about his mouth is an excuse. The fact is Moses is an insecure, scared man. And he's struggling. And he's not sure how to take an order. He's not sure how to follow it. He's literally being ruled by his emotions. And now it comes out. Uh, 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 I'm unskilled. I'm not persuasive in my speech. And what does God do? Nevertheless, the Lord speaks now to Moses and Aaron and gave them the command concerning the sons of Israel. Stay on mission. By the way, great time to ask a question. Are you on mission? Do you know God's calling on your life? And are you staying the, stay the course? Even when it backfires. Even when you feel like people aren't listening and people are not honoring you. And you feel like you're all alone in this situation. Stay on point with God. Because God blesses obedience and God judges disobedience. All right, you're the body of Christ. Take ownership of this story. Um, what are your thoughts? How do we live this out? Pulling that teaching written for our encouragement to apply to us today. What would you say? What's that? Joe said he doesn't need our buy-in for this thing to work. Absolutely. What else? Why does this matter? Chris, I was just noticing that at the beginning, God said, you're going to speak to Pharaoh, but he won't listen to you. And it's only by 
mighty hand will he lend. You know, so Moses has heard God say at least once, he's not going to listen to you. Yeah. So, but then when it comes time to try to persuade Pharaoh, it doesn't work. And Moses is kind of all out of sorts. Absolutely. And it's almost like the response from God to Moses was, this is not about you. This is about me and yeah. what I'm going to do. Yeah. Watch what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah, that's so good, Justin. Six one. God bypasses all the emotions, and God says, "Now watch what I will do with her." Yeah. Anybody else? Why does this matter? Anybody else? It shows how frail we are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. I've resigned from my... Yeah. Yeah. I've resigned each Monday for years. <laughs> you know. I can't do it, Lord. I can't do it. I'm not enough. I don't have a good enough mouth. You know. Sure. Sure, it's hard. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes, sir. so good Dale that is so good um, June where's June there you are hi sweetheart I um, I wa- a few days ago I wasn't where Moses is <laughs> but I was heading that way <laughs> and sometimes you know the, the, the workload gets heavy and I get a call from June and June, June the Holy Spirit timing when you called me it was just a Lord and I told you that. I thanked you because God used June to just kind of build me up. And it was so beautiful. Uh, one thing is true about spiritual leaders. It's dangerous to be alone. It's just dangerous stuff. It's not good stuff. And you need about 100 elders right with you. Because if you don't, the emotions can get the best of you. And you're going to say something you regret. And then you're going to get real manipulative in the pulpit. If y'all don't do what I say, God's going to bring a plague and we're all going to die. <laughs> no, no, you don't do that. There's, there's already enough manipulation in the pulpit as it is. We need men, women who are truth tellers who will stay on point with the mission of God and not, and not let their emotions uh, get them off track. Um, I was reading yesterday in John 5 and Jesus confesses and says, look, Everything you see me doing, I do because the Father has told me to do it. As the Father does, so I do. What my Father says, I say. And that's the heart of this whole thing. So it's beautiful. Someone else. Anybody else? Yes. Men, particularly men who are uh, like 
Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, Satan loves to isolate men. He does. And uh, ladies, let me say something at both a theological, clinical, and philosophical level. Uh, I hope you're sitting and hold on to something. Uh, men have ego problems. Are you aware of such things? And I realize that's shocking news. I, I know, I know. Kate, it's shock. Who would have thought? I know. I know. Lisa, who would have thought it? You know. Um, Bruce, I think it is absolutely profound that in Genesis 2.24, who is the one that's the one who leaves and cleaves? Who? The man. Not the woman. The man. Can I, can I say something totally depressing? Sure. Women don't need us. <laughs> I just want to be needed. That's what I want. There's something that's independent. You laugh. I know. It's, it's, it's real. It's real, people. The struggle's real. Man, we're there. You know, we're there. And, and the fact is, there's an independence in a woman that is amazing. Um, because they're the ones, they have to survive. They've got to be strong. You know why? Because they're, they're going to birth babies into this world. And they've got to be strong. And if there's anybody that's going to be strong for a child, it's going to be mom. It's got to be mom. It's got to be. She carries them. And so men struggle. And with that quote-unquote chip on the male shoulder, fueled by testosterone, they go to seed on the little thing we praise our kids for. I can do it all by myself. They go to seed on that, and they move toward isolation and separation and independence, and that's when they're easy prey. Yeah, got to be in accountability. Got to be. Steve? When you go to 22. Of chapter 6? 522, okay. Does it remind you of something in Genesis 3? <laughs> Remember the fall, it's bad. Oh, it's bad. And so being the brilliant, by the way, you know Moses and uh, Moses, um, Adam and Eve were not born stupid. You know that. They're extremely high IQ people. And so, but after the fall, they make designer fig leaf clothing as a way of brilliantly dealing with their problems. That'll work. And, uh, and so God comes to walk with his children in the cool of the garden. God, he already knows, but he goes, hey, you know, where are you? God's looking for him. And what does Moses, uh, what does Adam say? Steve, he says, ah, oh, it's that woman you gave me. By the way, men have been blaming mommy ever since. I just let you know that. 
It's that woman you gave me, Lord. She's the one that's making my life complicated. Yeah, you're right, Steve. Passing the buck. Yeah. By the way, can we see grace in the story? Flawed man, ego, ego problem, damaged view of self, using a speech impediment or his lack of persuasive speech as this, give me attention, don't use me, but I want attention, but don't use me, but give me attention kind of thing going on and a little hot-headed, you know, undercurrent of anger, little lava under the surface of the ground, and it erupts. Just right moments. He'll pop. So, and guess what? God keeps using him. There's no strike three, you're out rule here. God keeps using Moses. And all his excuses, and all Aaron's excuses, and that's a whole other chapter coming soon. It's amazing that God uses flawed, goofed up people, and I am an example of that. God uses broken people to accomplish his will. Just in your words are salient. It's about him and not us. Yeah, that's so good. Anybody else? Just so good. I just think when we talk about his speech impediment or whatever it was, uh, the actual wording said unskilled and unskilled, yeah. In, uh, what is it? Unskilled in unskilled in speech. In speech. I think uh, as Christians, we use that, or Satan uses that, to keep our mouths shut. And I think as a Christian, we need to come to the realization that it's okay to talk about our faith. It's okay to talk about um, that we love Jesus. Now, there are a select few, Freddie being one of them, who can do that standing in line at Kroger. Maybe we aren't all built that way. But my goodness, if someone says, you know, if God puts those little windows of opportunity in our daily walks, our daily you know, whatever we're doing, we need to be bold and courageous to just talk about Jesus. There's no, you know, if you're someone that requires extensive training, then by all means go through evangelism explosion or whatever. But, yeah. but you know, if, if we profess that we love Jesus, you know, and, and Moses was trying to use his speech as a deterrent for doing what he knew to do, Yeah, you're right. Um, just different excuses, but the same dynamic. Right. Yeah. Uh, classically, you know, because we struggle with secret sin or our proclivities to certain unhealthy behaviors, whatever it is, we think we're disqualified. God only uses flawless vessels of honor. Only the holy vessels can be used. You know, when the fact is the whole biblical record is just the opposite. Wait, I can't do it now, but where do you get to chapter 6 and the genealogy of, of Aaron? What a mess. And yet they're all named. You know, just and like in Matthew. Faith is believing in Jesus, but it's also believing that Jesus is going to give you the words that you need to say and provide yeah, yeah. whatever that conversation, sure. whatever is needed in the midst of that conversation or that yeah. encounter. And Jesus promised the Holy Spirit when he comes. I'll tell you what to say in the very hour that you need it. In John 3, there's a guy. I don't think he has a chip on his shoulder, 
But I do think there are some ego needs because he is considered to be an elite ruler of the Jews. In other words, he is a Torah scholar. Most likely he has memorized verbatim in Hebrew the first five books of Moses. And he knows them, quote unquote, on the, like the back of his hand. And his name is Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus by night. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Ooh. I bet Moses wanted to hear Pharaoh say that one. Gee, Pharaoh, you must have come from God. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. He was hoping Pharaoh would say that. He didn't. So Jesus posing a similar kind of dynamic. He says, truly, I say to you, Jesus' own point, his own mission. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, Nicodemus, I'm proud that you've memorized Torah. I'm proud you can quote Shema perfectly. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Shema Yishel Adonai Eloheinu. You can say it, that's great. But I'm telling you, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, being the brilliant man that he is, says, I can't crawl back in mommy's womb, can I? I don't think I can fit. Jesus doesn't entertain that one. Truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. And as the text continues, as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, Nicodemus, that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son of the world to judge the world, condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. If you believe, you are saved. If you do not believe, you're judged already. God blesses obedience and God judges disobedience. And the one disobedient act that costs everything is unbelief. Unbelief. Are you born again? Do you know Do you know Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? If you have never given your heart to Christ, it's a simple prayer. And by the way, there's no copyrighted formula, formulaic prayer in the scriptures. It's not there. Because it, if there was a little formula, <laughs> we'd ruin it. It's a matter of the heart. And if the Holy Spirit grabs you by the heart, you're going to realize that your sins have separated you and God. And that 
you can't approach God based on your own righteousness. And you realize that the payment for, for the, my sins, your sins, is Jesus Christ. In fact, John the baptizer is the guy that figured that out. And he pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And you get that. And you realize that Jesus is not only the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world, but he takes away your sins. And when you realize that, the Spirit grabs you and says, it's time. This is your time. You believe. And you ask by faith. You say, Lord Jesus, please. It's a mess. I try to do the right thing. It blows up in my face. I do the wrong thing. That blows up in my face. It's all a mess. Would you please come inside me and make sense of my life? Would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you make me brand new? And he is not a liar. <laughs> and he will rush in to your soul, your heart, and you'll experience the new birth. And you'll become a follower of Jesus. And you'll be baptized and you will not be embarrassed. You'll be baptized and you will not be ashamed. And you will call upon the name of the Lord and believe and you will be born again. If that doesn't happen, you are no better than Pharaoh with a hard heart. At all. There's no difference between you and an Egyptian. God loves you. And that is beautiful. And he will use you even though you feel like your life is a mess or you lack skills or something like that. He will use you right where you are. He just says, please give me your heart. That's all he asks. So, I want to pray with you. Father, thank you for each person that's here. Those online watching or those who are going to listen later, I pray that the anointing of your spirit would be on your words. And I know in the authority of Isaiah 55 that your word will go forth and it will accomplish the task that you've assigned to it. And nothing can stop that truth in that word. I beg your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.